Welcome to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm Dr. Rebecca Bernard, your host and the co-author of the book Patients at Risk and the author of the follow-up book, Imposter Doctors. Today is part two of my discussion with Louisiana Physicians for Patients, an advocacy group that successfully blocked scope of practice expansion for nurse practitioners in the last legislative season. In our previous episode, we discussed how they achieved that, in part through hiring a lobbyist, and in today's podcast, they'll continue their discussion and sharing how they decided to go on the offensive and to start to put forth legislation to protect patients. Do you have any plans to go on the offensive? I know that as physicians, we're always on the defensive against these scope bills. That was the very first thing we talked about. The very first year we did it, 2022, going into 2022, that was the first thing we said, which was we need to come out of the gate swinging because we need to change this to where we are the ones advocating for patients and putting forth legislation that protects patients. And that's why we changed our name also to a name that reflected what our mission was. We kind of brainstormed with some things that could could help in that regard, transparency and those types of things. And one of the big arguments that the, the legislatures would come back to us with was, well, what about lack of access to care in rural areas? And so that was the area that we thought we might try and address first. Well, I'd like to start off by saying, like last year, they did not want us to bring any scope bills because the legislature was going to be in an election year and they didn't want anything controversial. So we had White Coat Wednesday at the Capitol in the spring, and we had my North Louisiana delegation, our representative and our group, they're pretty active and we've got a great group. So we were having dinner with the legislators from our area and we invited Jamie to come and be a you know, honorary North Louisiana and Summer is honorary North Louisiana since her sister is also from our region. And we were speaking with our senator and explaining to him just, we were just talking casually about the match, about how bad the match was this year. It just happened and how many unmatched physician graduates there were and they can't find residency positions and explaining to him how bad this is. We have a ton of doctors that could be used to help fill the rural gap. And he just was like amazed at all of this. And he took it and ran. And Senator Barrow Peacock and then Summer was the main point contact person for that one. And they just created a bill on Louisiana Bridge Physicians. So Summer, you want to tell her about that one? So I had been a member of PPP for several years, like Jamie said. And so I had kind of seen these things happening in other states. And I recognize that everybody's always complaining about independent practice and full practice authority, but nobody's ever offering solutions. And their biggest argument is we need more practitioners in the rural areas. And so this seemed like a reasonable solution to that problem when you have all of these thousands and thousands of people that have finished a full medical education and they're driving Uber And then you have somebody else that has 500 clinical hours and is practicing independently as a nurse practitioner in some of these states. It made absolutely no sense to me. So when he actually was sitting down at my end of the table, 
and when this discussion came up, I said, I said, you know, this is something I think that you could actually probably do if you'd like to, because there's legislation regarding this issue in other states. And this is something we need here in Louisiana. These are all physicians that we paid with our tax dollars to educate. The medical schools, you pay a tuition to go to them, but they're subsidized by the state. And so we want these physicians to be adequately trained and practicing in our state. We don't want them to go to other states and we don't want them to not match. We want them to match, be trained and practice in our state. And so when you have all of these physicians, not just in our state, but in every state that don't match, there was only at the time, I think three or four states that had this legislation. So what we wanted to do was make a, a bridge program that would allow those people that didn't match to work with a family practitioner or primary care physician in a rural town in Louisiana and be paid to do that. And then the, it would be sort of continuing their education as a sort of gap year until they were able to reapply and try and match into residency position again. That's awesome. What, what a great idea to allow them to get that experience and make a little bit of money. It might help that primary care doctor, although they'll be doing a lot of teaching. So it'll be a lot of work for them too, but ultimately it's in everybody's best interest. So is that something that it, that's been proposed and that's going to be discussed in committee coming up? No, no it passed. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So tell me the details. What does it look like? What are the logistics of it? The way the bill ended up being written was, so in Missouri, we kind of, that was kind of the state that everybody knows about. They're called associate physicians. Uh, but the, our, our, our LSB and me, the, the medical, the board of medical examiners didn't want to call them that because they don't want it to be a permanent position. Like Summer said, uh, they want it to be a position for graduate physicians to get some experience while at the same time increasing access to care in a rural health area under the supervision of a phys another physician, an attending physician or a qualified physician. So the bill passed. It is Senate Bill 439 and it passed last year. It only applies to graduate physicians, MD or DO in Louisiana, and they can only work under primary care. So family medicine, internal medicine. And it is uh, for up to three years and they can reapply every year. So each year that they get their bridge year license, and maybe I shouldn't say license. I don't know if that's actually what they're calling it in the BME, but whatever terminology the BME is using, each year they will have their temporary license to work as a bridge year. And then they have to reapply every year and show that they're applying to residency because they don't want it to be a pathway unless it proves to be very successful. Then we can uh, evolve the program. But that's the program for now. And uh, I just saw the executive director of the BME. They just started publishing the program. We don't have any applications yet. He said there was one person who didn't match this past year. And for whatever reason, the person had other plans. So, but he, wa he wasn't negative about it. He said it was fine. And he says they, so, cause I said, well, why don't we open it to other states? He said, well, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure we create the right program that is safe for everybody. So we'll just move on to next year and we'll see if we can help any physicians next year. It gives you a little more time to flesh it out and troubleshoot it. And what about, do you have a number of physicians that are offering to take on that responsibility? I think that there are some physicians in rural areas who could use extra help that have mentioned that they would like to participate, but I'm not quite sure what database that they have with the BME. 
Well, I'll just put in a plug for a podcast episode that I did with Dr. Mary Tipton out in Utah, and she has been doing this with uh, the same program that they have in Utah, and she took us two different um, graduates, and I have to follow up with her to find out if they they were, of course, applying for residency, and it sounded like it was a very, uh, she was really feeling like she was getting a lot out of it in the sense that she felt really good about giving back and helping these graduates and that there were so many, actually, she had a ton of applicants, I guess, in Utah, they had quite a few unmatched, but then it was also a lot of work, especially since it was new for her and she was still trying to figure out the ropes. So um, if anybody's interested in Louisiana or another state in taking on one of these graduates, you might want to check out that podcast. And Mary Tipton gave her contact information if anybody wants to reach out for her to her for advice or you know, any learn about how she went through things, you know, pros and cons and how, what things that you could do that, that she would do differently, but what a great program. Thanks for doing that. And uh, was there, there was another bill that you were working on too. Tell us about that one. So this year we, we actually didn't introduce a bill because it was a fiscal year. So the legislators were limited to the number of bills that they could uh, introduce And we knew they didn't want any scope of practice bills. But something that we did do was the nursing, the board of nursing wanted to change their rules at the beginning of the year. And they wanted to be allowed to prescribe controlled medications for chronic pain and also prescribe controlled medications to treat obesity. So that hearing was back in March, April. And I went to Baton Rouge to testify for it. And so did Debbie. And one of the legislators said something at the end, and it was basically something that they say every year is that the the board of nursing and the BME and the leaders of the, the nurse practitioners and the physicians need to get together and solve this problem, which everybody on online right now, all four of us know that that's never going to get resolved. We're never going to prove it in a practice and they're always going to want it. But something that he did say was we need transparency. We need more X, Y, Z. And so our lobbyist was there and he said, you know what? One of the problems that you all have been complaining about, which is I don't know who I supervise. Okay. It's not public. It's not published on any website, whether it's the BME, which they would like to, or the board of nursing, uh, you cannot go and look up the supervising physician for any nurse practitioner. So we are approached that senator who actually has introduced independent practice legislation for PAs in the past and votes for independent practice. So he's he doesn't even agree with us on scope. But we said, listen, you said there needs to be more transparency. We had this idea. Why don't we introduce a Senate resolution, not a bill? Resolution is basically an ask. People don't have to do it. The boards don't have to do it, but they basically better do it. In it, we uh, commanded that the Board of Nursing the Louisiana State Board of Medical Examiners and the Board of Dentistry, because dentists can oversee CRNAs, all have to start publishing who the supervising physician for nurse practitioners is. And it passed uh, without any, well, behind the scenes, the, the nurses were opposing it and even one physician group, but it passed otherwise as far as votes in the Senate with zero opposition. Wow. You know, like in the state of Florida, if I look up a doctor, it'll say who if they have an NP or a PA under them. But if I look up an NP, I can't see who the supervising physician is. So is that kind of what what it was in Louisiana up until this? No, see it from either side. Either way, neither was visible. So complete lack of transparency. 
and, and we what want- you have to do is you have to email the board of nursing and say, please give me a list of the nurse practitioners that I supervise. And so I actually did it. I emailed them and I got the list and all it has was the nurse's name. And then it had a disclaimer at the bottom that said that this list may not be accurate. And I said, well, that's not really fair. I looked at the list and half the nurses, I didn't even know. I'm I'm not sure. Sh- I think it was one of those situations where ER doctors have to do the notional supervision, supervision and name only, where we just go through and sign a bunch of papers and we're forced to supervise people that we've never met. And I think that's how those names got on there. But, you know, if those nurses are working at some ER and the, the, a patient wants to go figure out who their supervising physician is, the patient doesn't get to look that up. You know, mm-hmm. they don't know what to do. And they're like, oh, well, they can email the board of nursing. Do you think all of our patients are really going to be that savvy? I barely knew to do how to do it. So what we said was, we deserve transparency. The The nurses do, the physicians do, and the patients do. The patients are the most important part of that. If they want to make a complaint or express a concern or even send a note of thank you, if it's a positive, they should be able to have that information handily. I love that. I think that's, that's just like the most basic part of truth and transparency, just knowing who's supervising who and who's being supervised. In Florida, I also want to see who's practicing autonomously, it seems like that should be something that should be easy to look up. That means they're not being supervised and that is something patients should know. Well, what other messages would you like to share with our audience? We do want to be uh, more aggressive on some of the legislation this coming year. It is an election year for Louisiana, so there will be a lot of bills coming up in the spring that a lot of the new legislators are going to win, want to make their mark and try to make some good changes. But we do, too. So we're trying to get to meet some of them now and get ready for next uh, session. We would like to do a transparency bill that we're considering, uh, you know, being more aggressive on the scope bills. Um, we would maybe consider a patient bill of rights. There are a number of things that we're looking at to see how to do it correctly and to word it, but just to keep it best for our patients. And on that, you know, you were asking earlier, what kind of advice we would give to people who want to give up? The thing I always say is just throw yourself in and elbow your way to the front. And I'm telling you, people, people will be a little thrown off at first, but they end up appreciating you, especially if what you're doing, because national PPP and then our group, the focus is the patient. The focus is patient safety. So when they see that you're in it for the right reason, they're all ears and the legislators want to hear from us. You know, the legislators, when when I have one-on-one conversations with patients or even nurses, my, my husband's in the hospital right now, actually. And today I was speaking with the nurse and she came in and said, do you remember me? And I said, no, she was like, you and I talked about going to medical school. You were encouraging me to go to medical school a while back. And she's, and I, I, and I did end up remembering the conversation, but we talked about the different programs that she was on because she was looking at the MD programs, the NP programs, and we were talking about the pros and cons of everything. So I just feel like every opportunity that I have to speak about it, I do. And it's not hateful. It is a sensitive topic, but it's not hateful. If I represent it with just the truth and the data, the truth sets you free. It ends up being, it's always the right thing to do. The, the but, other thing to say is that I think super important on this topic regarding other, you know, physicians that are trying to start grassroots action is that we only started doing this in 2021. And 
by this last session, you know, Jamie goes up there as much as she can when when they're in session and Debbie does as well. And when we went up there for White Coat Wednesday, it was completely different than when we went up there two years ago. They recognized us. They knew who were who we were. They would stop in the hall and say hello. I mean, when we went up there in 2021, I knew one or two legislators at the most, maybe three at the most. And I imagine Debbie and Jamie were the same way. Um, we knew sort of our local people, and that was pretty much it. Now, I feel like there's a lot of them that know know us, especially Debbie and Jamie. And they know they know us, and they say hi, and they know why we're there. And it, it's amazing what, what a big... How, how quickly you can move the needle on this topic. And and we do want to make sure they knew, know too, we're not against the nurse practitioners or the PAs. We all think that everyone has something to do. It's a team. I can't do anything as a physician, you know, alone. We need our nurses. We need our nurse practitioners, everyone who can help a patient. But we still think and want everyone to realize we want the physician to be the lead of the team. And we've been very lucky in a way that all of this started. And then, you know, the year after we started, we started having data to support this with the Hattiesburg study. So we're now able to put some of that behind what we're saying. It's not just feelings. We have some hard data. My last question for you guys is you're all official supporters of PPP, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you pay the little dues or whatever. Why should physicians consider joining PPP? I think because it is the umbrella that all of us are under are underneath. I think it represents all of these different groups throughout the country. It's sort of the umbrella that all of us are 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 below. It was actually the inspiration for us starting our group and I think it has been for many 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 other groups throughout the country and it's a sort of clearinghouse for what's going on in all of the other states so that we can all learn from each other and we don't have to reinvent the wheel every year. So you would encourage all doctors listening Absolutely. to please join PPP. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, especially on our Facebook group, because our Facebook group isn't our official organization, although we talk about a lot of things that are important there, but it's not, people think that we just complain, but honestly, I think you're showing, no, there's a lot more than complaining. Sometimes you have to hear things a few times and realize that you, yeah, this is, I'm, it's, I'm not, this isn't just in my head. This is real. And then you, you, it can be, you can be inspired to take action, which is what you've done. Yeah, no, I'm a dues paying member. I have been, you know, since y'all started offering dues and it, it's basically what Summer said. You're kind of like the central processing area because scope of practice is going to be an individual state issue, it, the, right? So you can't, you can't really, you have to organize at the national level, but tri- trickle it down. Like Summer said, umbrella it um, at the state level. So a lot of the individual state leaders have, met. I know people all over the nation because of PPP and we're getting ideas from each other. You know, just yesterday we passed the resolution. Uh, Mercy Hilton passed, helped pass the emergency department bill that would require a physician to work 24 hours a day at all times. Just to clarify, that bill would require that any emergency department that advertises itself as such must have an ER doctor on site at all times, 24-7. Can't just put a nurse practitioner or a PA there and call themselves an emergency room. So yesterday, I introduced that resolution at our House of Delegates, and they supported it. And I know there's going to be the AMA picked it up. Now they're going to write some 
proactive legislation board. And that started really on PPP. We have our Texas neighbors, we have our Mississippi neighbors that we met through this. The networking is really the, the great thing. And I also had an opportunity to be interviewed by, I think it was Axios. I did an interview for y'all or for the organization. And it, it was really fun. It was really nice to give my opinion and, and represent physicians in a positive way. Yes. And I think that, you know, PPP has done a tremendous job getting, like just keeping keeping everything organized and together. And legislation that we were able to pass last year was based off of things that we learned on PPP. That's how we recognized that that could be a possible solution for us. And when the, when Senator Peacock said that he was willing to put forth a piece of legis legislation, that's, you know, once he said that, all we had to do was find the states that had it, figure out what their laws were, and figure out what worked for them and what didn't. Because I called a couple of different places and sort of researched it. And, the, and you know, there had been some road bumps along the way with some of those, and we used their previous experience to help improve how we drafted our own legislation. And we wouldn't have had access to any of that without PPP. I, I agree with all of that that you said. The other thing that I'd like to add, because we talk about it being an umbrella organization, we are all individually working in our specialty societies and um, at our state level, but it's so good to see multi-specialties come together in PPP as the big organization and we can share ideas throughout different specialties. And I am a lifetime PPP member. Thank you so much to my guests, Dr. Jamie Quo, Debbie Fletcher, and Summer Black for joining me to discuss how physicians can really make a difference when we work together. You heard them tell you why it's a great idea to consider joining Physicians for Patient Protection. Our dues are just $179 a year for attending physicians, less for med students and residents and retired docs, and scholarships are available if you need them. We also offer lifetime membership and donations if you would like to contribute to our work. If you'd like to learn more about it, just visit our website, physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Of course, I encourage you all to consider getting my book, co-authored with Dr. Naran Alajba. It's called Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. And you can check out my new book, which is a follow-up called Imposter Doctors, Patients at Risk. Those are both available at Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. And if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast or you have questions or comments, feel free to shoot me an email. You can contact me through the website patientsatrisk.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.